0: Okay, so tonight we're Hashem, going to be continuing with our series of shiram on the 10 spheros. And this week's shir is going to be on the spher of Bina. And the title of the shir is going to be Bina, which is fragmentation. Now, in order to properly understand Bina, really like we introduced last week before the beginning of the shir on Chachma, it's nearly impossible to discuss Chachmah without Bina or Bina without Chachmah, Like the Ptasuk says, So we see that there's already an inter-inclusion with regards to these two traits, these two spheros, to the point that the Zohar HaKadosh refers to Chachma and Bina, or as it's known in the writings of the Arizal, based on the Idra Abba and Ima, because Chachma is going to be associated with the Abba, or masculinity, and Bina is going to be associated with Ima, or femininity, that Abba, ve'ima train that Abba and Imar, Chachma and Bina, are two traits, two spheros that are inseparable. And that the yichud between the two of them is perpetual. There's never a distinction between Chachma or Bina. And Lu Yitzur, even if a person could conjure up in their minds the possibility of the epistemological mode of Chachma operating without Bina, Chachma in its own individualized, lonesome self without Bina would lead to sheer expansiveness of an idea. And as we're going to see, Bina without the interconnectivity to Chachma would just be the severity of constriction, which would lead to nothing. Now, like we said in the Shira Kesser and Chachma, the ten spheros can be broken up into two categories, two structures. There's going to be the gimel ration, or the transcendental qualities of the spheros. That which is beyond human comprehension, that which is not embodied within the body itself, but rather surrounding the head of an individual, referred to as a makif, as something that has a relationship with a person by way of distance. I know about it because it's something that I can dream of, yearn towards, desire yet I don't know about it because it's not mislabish within myself, it's not embodied within me, so I can only speak about it from an objective sense and not from a subjective level. Unlike the seven lower spheros, as we're going to start seeing next week, chesed through malchus are going to be embodied, they're going to represent our emotional states, they're going to represent our habituated states, whether we're talking about chesed, gvura, and teferes, or netzachod and yesod, and especially malchus, but when it comes to the gimelration, we're still talking about qualities or spheros that HaKadosh Baruch Hu utilizes in the world and that therefore we find within ourselves that are still of a transcendent nature, which means that they're still not going to be susceptible to the limitations or the deficiencies or the stricture of what it means to be held within the body. So gar or the gimelration or the three transcendent spheros don't necessarily have the same halachic parameters. They don't need to fit in within our worldly experience because they're makif, they're above what we have a relationship with. But then the question becomes, how is there going to be an interconnectivity between the gimelration and the lower seven Sviros? If the gimelration, the first triadic structure of the spheros, represents that which is transcendent, that which is removed, that which is a lofty light that cannot be contained within vessels in any determinate form, how are those three transcendent factors going to interact with the seven lower spheros, which represent constriction, fallibility, as we discussed in the Shirman Rav Kuk and the Leshem Shbov Haloma, the seven lower spheros are susceptible and influenced by the trauma of Shira Sakelim. that each one of those spheros broke in the creation of the world, and therefore none of them exists in their ideal form. Unlike the Gimel unlike the first triad of the Kesser Chachman Bina, which remains supernally above Shira Sakelim. So we're not talking about kind and kind here. We're talking about almost two completely separate categories of spheros that for some reason seem to comprise a whole that's greater than the sum of their parts. But the question that we're left with when talking about the gimelration or the transcendent qualities of the first three spheros in relationship to the lower seven and their imminent factor, the question we're left with is how do we bridge the two? How can there be a bridge? How can there be something that connects between the infinite and the finite, between transcendence and immanence, between light and darkness, or better stated, between light that is unrelated to the confines and the limiting factors of this world, and the seven lower lights, which are subsequently affected by the material reality of this world. And the answer that we're going to come upon is really going to be the sphere of Bina. Now, Bina... In relationship to Chachma, operates as follows. Like we said last week, Chachma is an initial burst of enthusiasm. It's the first postulate that emerges into our mind in a thunderbolt type of form, where I see the entire image. Yet because I see the entire image, I see the entirety of the forest, I am incapable of understanding that that full picture, that that full vision, is comprised of many particular and distinct points that at the level of Chachma, my mind is operating on such a lofty place, it, mer- it emerges from nothingness, like we said, Vachachma me'ayin timsa, that which comes from the rutzon and the tanug of, of Keser only allows me to see things in their, insp- in their expansiveness. Now Chachma, like we said earlier, is masculine in the sense that it provides the base material, the minimal form, that Yud Kitana, that tiny infinitesimal point that contains the all within it, that sees the entirety of the picture through vision, through Riya, yet is incapable of descending into the pratim, because when a person is dealing with chachma, all there is is a klal. It's still connected the world of Atsilos. It's still connected a supernal place of unity where everything is contained with everything. And there's no distinction between one thing or another. And that's why we said that chachma is like a goylem, that chachma is like inanimate matter that stands at the ready to be formed in any type of formation. And then it's nothing but the Psicha, the Pesach, the opening, the Chachma Paseach sh'arim, the Nekuda, the cantillation point, the, the vowelization, I'm sorry, that's associated with the sphere of Chachma is going to be the Nekuda of the Pesach, opening up, something that's opened. Keser, which we didn't say is Kamatz, it means it's something that is kamutz, something that is condensed and concealed and hidden and bent into itself because it's not revealed. Chachma comes and opens up keser, and that's why it's patach. But that patach, that opening of chachma, still is without any formation. It's still above and beyond any limitation. When we come to the sphere of bina, however, bina is going to be the feminine counterpart to chachma, which is why its nekuda, its vowel, is going to be tseire. Tseire, the implication of tseire is a tziur. It means that it's a formation, it's the construction of some artistic quality. That Bina takes the raw material of Chachma, it takes that Yud of Chachma, that intensified potent point that contains the all within it, in spite of the fact that it looks so black and tiny, because that Re'iyah of Chachma sees everything in its totality. Impossible to try and understand the pratim or distinction or distortion. And Bina, the feminine quality, the feminine counterpart, of Chachmah, and that's why it's referred to as Ima, as the mother, because as we're going to see, Bina is almost like the womb of the world. It takes that initial burst of enthusiasm, it takes that unformed point of Chachmah, and it forces it to be mitzayer itself. It forces it to expand itself, to move beyond the, the mere iteration and opening of wisdom, And to move into the process of actual intellectually trying to understand and tease apart the different parts that comprise the idea. So if chachma is referred to as the abba, the masculine expression of pure potency, bina is going to be referred to as ima, which is the feminine quality of the capacity of discerning from within that point that which is significant and that which makes it up. And taking that point and allowing it to gestate and form to the point that it becomes something palpable and reasonable to express itself in this world. Now, when it comes to Bina, Bina is, on the one hand, still part of the gimelration. It's still part of that transcendent triad of spheros that comprise the head. If Kesa represented the Ratzon or the Tainug that's at the the center of the cranium, Chachma represented the right brain, which is associated with generality, or the whole picture, if you will, or creativity, as neuroscientists will point out. Bina is going to be associated with the left brain. Bina is severity. Bina is the ability to break things down into linguistic constructs, into words that define by virtue of the fact that they limit what they're trying to define. As philosophers of language have always pointed out that Naming or language is already an act of constriction because when I call something something It's always based on the fact that it's not anything else So when I call something a book, I'm also Including within my language within my choice of words that this book is not every other word that's possible So language is already an act of constriction an act of naming an act of placing limitations on something and so Bina is going to be linguistic, mathematical distinctions that go down to the pretius of something. No longer satisfied with just the klal of chachma, the general picture. Bina wants to understand, Bina wants to understand what goes into making up the construct of chachma. How can I take that initial burst of chachma, that unformed expansivity of knowledge, and form it into something that is meaningful, that can become actual embodied knowledge, as we're going to see. Now. Because Bina serves this purpose of taking that generality and that openness and that chesed of Chachma, that expansivity of the yesh that comes from nothingness, and condensing it and forcing it into actual limitation. So Bina is already intimating the power of the left side of the Sefiros because Bina is going to be the first Sefirah on the left side, like Chachma is the first Sefirah on the right side and the right and the amin is always associated with openness and expansiveness, and left is associated with constriction and compression. So if Chachma is the first of the spheros on the right side, the father, if you will, of all expressivity and expansion, Bina is going to be the mother on the left side, the first sphere on the left side, which is going to be the source of all constriction and all limitation and all formation. And we're going to see in the next few weeks how Chesed and Gvura, the second spheros on the right and the left side of the spherotic tree, are really going to be second iterations of what was experienced in Chachma and Bina, except it's no longer going to be on an intellectual epistemological level, and except now it's going to be on an emotional lived experience type of level. But so Bina... On the one hand, it's part of the Gimalration, It's part of that triadic structure of consciousness, which is apparently devoid of the confines and limitations and stresses of what it means to be imminent. Yet on the other hand, Bina is already utilizing the strength of compression, the strength of restriction, in order to form the unformed ideal or the unformed potential of Chachma. And this is where the mikubalim come onto a paradox, if you will, of Bina that on the one hand, Bina is part of the gimelration, and therefore it is removed from any judgment or harshness or severity or difficulty or darkness, which are terms and expressions that are associated with the imminent plane of the seven lower spheros, which were affected by the primordial cataclysmic trauma of shheros akelim. Nevertheless, in spite of the fact that Bina is still associated with the supernal realm of the gimelration, it still is the first instantiation of limitation. It is still that place of formation, of constriction and forming, which demands the tools of gvura and restriction, things that are associated with the broken realm of being. So on the one hand, bina is supernally ideal, removed from any sense of constriction or limitation. Yet on the other hand, bina has the capacity to form and limit and create. And the Zohar HaKadosh already and the Arizal after him and the Mikubalim even previous to the Arizal, the Ramak and the Shari Ora as well, point out that Bina is going to contain this paradox within itself. On the one hand, it's pure chesed and pure grace because it's associated with transcendence. And on the other hand, it's going to be the root source of severity and restriction and limitation, which will emerge in a broken and fallen form later on within the spherotic order when we come to the seven lower spheros. So this is what the Zohar HaKadosh means when it says that Bina dinin mis'aren mine. that Bina is the birthplace of Dinim. Dinim and judgment and constrictions, these are synonymous with every word that we can use to describe the human condition in its severity. That Gvuros mean anxiety, that Gvuros mean restriction, that Gvuros mean coming to a limit in a person's life. Gvuros represent Yisurin, suffering. Gurus represent not having enough of privation. And this is rooted in the space of Bina. Because on the one hand, Bina is going to be Rachamim Rabbim. It's going to be great compassion and expression by dint of the fact that it's in its transcendent space. Yet on the other hand, it's going to give birth to the Dinim. It's going to be the origin, that place where Dinim come from, so that as they descend in the Seder of Hishtalshalos, in the great chain of being, which is the progression of the Tensviros, we're going to see that what manifests as the dregs later on of suffering and brokenness that we experience in this worldliness is going to find its roots in Bina. So that on the one hand, Bina is Kadosh HaKadashim, yet on the other hand, Bina is Dinim misabrin Minei, that Dinim and judgments and severity are born from within the womb of Bina. And for this reason, the shame, the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the locution that we utilize to describe HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as expressed in the Shari Ora and the different Svarim that talk about the Sviros individually prior to the Arizal, that when you look at the name associated with Bina, we come upon the same exact paradox. The name associated with Bina is going to be the tetragrammaton, the Shem Havaya, Yudke Kevavke. Yudke Vavke, as it's known, is associated with Rachamim, with Chesed. Anytime a person encounters the Shem Yudke Kevavke, the Shem HaMafurish, the Shem HaEtzem, the essential name of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, which can't be expressed in its actual verbalization, but only by way of misreading, as we know, that it's read in a way that is other than it's written, at least in this deferred time of exile. And so Bina is associated with Rachamim Rabim of Shem Havaya. Yet the nekudos, the vowelization of the word Havaya, is going to be the nekudos of the word Eloikim. Now the Shem Eloikim, the name Eloikim as, a, as applied to our Baruch Hu, is almost the polar opposite of the Shem Havaya. That if Havaya represents loving-kindness, and chesed, and expression, and unlimitedness, and idealism, then the Shema Eloykim is going to represent Gevura, and Din, and realistic reality, and separation, and elokim HaChairim, and the ability for there to be something separate and apart from the ideal unity of HaKadosh Baruch So we see that the name associated with the sphere of Bina is on the one hand written, as if it's applicable to the Gimel ration, it's Shem Havaya, it's transcendent. Yet on the other hand, the vowelization, the way that we engage it, the way that we read it, the way that we verbalize it and hear it, is going to be associated with the nekudos of Eloikim, which is associated with separation. Because just like we said, Bina on the one hand is purified in all modes of purity, and it's the source of tahara. And it's the source of cheiris, as we're going to see, the source of existential freedom that gives the individual the ability to transcend this worldliness and all of its manifold forms of, of pain, discomfort, suffering, joy, and anything that we associate. And on the other hand, it's the source of all of that suffering. And that is specifically what Bina's job is to do. Because Bina is going to be the mother, it's going to be the womb that gives birth to the seven lower spheros. That in its feminine quality, so to speak, that not devoid of any masculinity, when we speak about gender balances, with regards to the spheros, it's very important to understand that every sphera contains both a masculine aspect and a feminine aspect. In Chachma, the masculine aspect is more emphasized than the feminine aspect. And in Bina, the feminine aspect is more emphasized than the masculine aspect. But it's never one or the other. It's always both and. That's a Klal Gadol in all of Kabbalah. That we don't speak exclusively of a Zahar or a Nekeva in their isolation, but rather it's always both of them. And the question is, which takes precedent? And it gives birth to a lot of open, free interpretations of, of gender theory and different approaches. Now. Bina is going to be the mother of the children. It's going to be the source of the lower seven spheros. The lower seven spheros are associated with this world, with the seven days of Bereshus, with Shira Sakalem, with the shattering of the seven vessels. The place those spheros emerge from are the womb of Bina. Now the womb, as psychologists and Mekubalim both will agree, is that place that anybody who finds themselves stuck within the confines of limitation somebody who finds himself stuck within the confines of this worldly limitation in all of its vicissitudes, for good and for bad, for difficulty and for positivity, there's an unending desire, an unconscious desire to revert back to the uterine realm, to revert back to that womb-like place where there was nothing that a person needed to worry about, where there was nothing that was not provided for the individual where the entirety of the Torah, as Chazal tell us, were taught to us, without any yigiyah, without any difficulty. That primordial, pristine space, that Eden, that womb-like space of pure comfort, that is what Bina represents. And anything that falls away from Bina is attempting to get back to Bina. But Bina is not only the place that we try and return back to, it's also the place where we come from. So that Bina is both the end of the gimelration the end, the lowest aspect of that transcendent space, and it's also going to be the highest aspect of limitation. And therefore we come upon this paradox of Bina on the one hand being pure Rachamim and openness, on the other hand being the root and the source of all constriction that emerges afterwards. And this is where we come upon one of the most fundamental sugyos when it comes to Bina, in that Bina is the birthplace of Gavura. Ani bina li gvura, like the Pasuk says. I am bina, and gvura belongs to me. Because bina, as we said, is the beginning of the left side, the beginning of constriction, yet prior to its fallen stature. And so it represents gvura in its pristine form. It represents the left hand, so to speak, of the Kaddish Baruch Hu that is there to apply limit to things, so that there can be discussion and communication prior to the negative symptoms of what limitation implies. A purified form of difference. Not a difference that says one thing is better than the other and therefore there's going to be a battle between left and right or up and down, but rather difference in its idealized form that says that even within the realm of unity there's the possibility of duplicity, of multiplicity that doesn't speak against unity but emphasizes unity that by the space of Bina, in its purity, there's a sense that this limitation, this constriction, prior to its pollution and descent into the dregs of reality, can actually adorn unity. Because by Chachma, when it's unified in its totality, that's one thing. It's not such a chiddish to say that HaKadosh Baruch Hu could find himself in the space of Chachma, in the space of Atzilas, in the space of infinite oneness. But when HaKadosh Baruch Hu reveals himself in the space of Bina, That's a whole entire other thing, because now Hashem is also showing that He's capable of manifesting within difference itself, within the potential of difference. And what that does is it teaches us an adornment of unity, because not only can unity express itself in the space of pure positivity and pure unity, but unity can now express itself even within the realm of the possibility of differentiation. And like Rav Huttner tells us that If there's somebody who has loved me my entire life and there's somebody who has been the enemy of me my entire life, when the person who has loved me all my life affirms their love, it's not just a chiddish. It's nice, it's appreciated, but there's no novelty in it. There's nothing exciting about it. There's nothing that says, wow, even here, because it's expected. But when the enemy, the person who has been pushing against me my entire life, finally admits and comes and says that they have compassion, that they want a relationship, That's an additional level of unity. It's a deeper level of love that emerges from within period, from within separation, showing that even separation is not separation because it's just another iteration of unity. All of this takes place in the space of Bina. That Bina in its purity is the birthplace of difference. But as it descends into the world of separation, it becomes the birthplace of Klippos and it becomes the birthplace of difficulty. And the same is going to be true within our own lives. That when looking at Bina, from the human perspective, Bina is the ability to discern and to understand first postulates. It's my ability to look at an idea that seems clear, to look at that initial burst of vision of the mind that sees the entire picture. And now, instead of just going along with the clarity of the entire picture, Bina says, let me break this up. Let me find the pratim that comprise this cloud. Let me find the particulars that emerge to create this universal postulate. Because even though there's an act of breaking and a severing of that general quality of unity associated with Chachma, nevertheless, if I can properly descend and penetrate into the different pratim, and I can understand what makes up the cloud. I can now understand all of the different working parts that comprise the entity that I'm looking at. I will emerge with a deeper understanding of the Klal. That there's a Klal, there's a general concept that's disclosed, and because I only see it in this general unity, I am devoid and lacking in understanding how it's made. I see the forest, but I miss the trees. Then there is a descent into Bina, into separation, into anibina ligvura into that realm of severity that breaks an idea up and says, chew on all of these individual parts and look at all the pratim that comprise it. But when I can do that properly, and when I can do that healthily, I emerge with a greater understanding of the cloud that I started off with. I can now understand all of the different Pratim, all of the different individual trees that make up that forest. And now instead of having no true understanding of how the forest operates, I'm capable of, on the one hand, understanding the unity of the forest, yet on the same point, also understanding all the prate pratim, all the differentiated parts that make up the forest, so that I now have a fuller picture of what's going on. Now, Bina, as it's experienced within the human being, is also gonna take on the parameters of this paradoxical play, between, on the one hand, transcendent and ideal, yet on the other hand, fallen and severe and real. Because like we said, it's the interface. Bina is going to be that interface between the ration and the zayin the first three spheros and the seven lower spheros. Because it's the womb where everything comes from. Now, Bina, for this reason, is going to be associated with a number of things the Pasuk says in Tehillim, the mother of the children is joyous. That if Chachma was associated with Bittal, like we saw last week, with pure ego nullification, not being aware of myself, only being aware of the generalities and ideal unities of the world, Bina is already the birthplace of subjectivity. It's where I begin to emerge with a sense of being something separate than God. Chachma was yesh me'ayin. It was something from nothing. The root of nothingness from which chachma emerged is clear. Keser is clear there. Bina is already yesh Yesh. It's something from something. Bina, it's no longer clear or even possible to jump right back to the source of nothingness. Because I only see Chachma when I'm looking from the perspective of Bina. I don't see the Keser that stands two levels above. And therefore, instead of returning back to this primordial unity of no differentiation, Bina is forced to deal with the origins and the beginning and the burgeoning of self-consciousness. And that's why it's going to be Eim HaBanim Smeicha. Because like we said, Bina represents this womb-like state, this pristine state, prior to the individuation of the individual. As I exist within that womb-like potency of knowing the entirety of the Torah from the Malik that teaches me in the womb of my mother. Prior to differentiation. So it's Eim HaBanim Smeicha. It's still a space of happiness. It's a space of joy and serenity and calmness of mind. Yet what descends from it as it emerges into the world of actuality, as we're going to see next week, there's already the birthplace of the opposite of Simcha, of Tsar, of Pirud, of Nigud, of separation and opposition, and all sorts of Hester. Because Bina, again, is going to be the birthplace of Gevura. So Bina is this place where we're reminded that even though all of the fallen emotions come from Bina, in its root, it's Em HaBanem smecha it gives us the ability to truly believe within ourselves that in spite of the fact that I live within a world of separation, in spite of the fact that I live in a world of differentiation with seven different iterations of chesed, vura, tzferas, netzah, and malchus, which appear to be the roots of all machleikes and the roots of all suffering and differentiation and disparity. Nevertheless, if I'm able to conjure up in my mind my true origin of ima ilah, of the supernal mother of Bina betaharasa, of Bina and its purity, what I come to recognize is that Bina is the world of Simcha. Happiness is only born, is only possible, when the opposite is a possibility. Happiness is not shy in the world of Chachma because the concept of sadness, of atzvus, of difference and differentiation is an impossibility. Chachma is Bittal, Chachma is manucha gamura. It's pure calmness of spirit, serenity that has no dealings with the opposite of itself. Bina already is being Metapel, it's fighting with these two opposites in itself. And because there's a confrontation with the eventual possibility of sadness and darkness, it also gives birth to the possibility of true Simcha, of joy, which comes from an overcoming of darkness, Daika, specifically, like Ahman would say. In the space of Chacham, in the space of Ayin, there's no shaykhs, there's no relationship with negativity, and therefore there's nothing that's going to make me happy because the opposite is not a possibility. And happiness without the possibility of sadness is not true happiness, because there's nothing that's propelling it. Bina, on the other hand, allows for simchhat's aima banam because there's already a misnaged there, there's already something that I have to overcome. The roots of Gavuro find themselves there, beginning to burgeon in their potency. And it's specifically there that simcha and gladness emerge because joy is only born out of the overcoming of darkness. Schoik, or laughter, is only born when I'm able to overcome the opposite of itself. Now, for this reason... Bina is also going to serve as a fundamental role in how we deal with what happens in the lower seven spheros. Because again, Bina is still an intellectual property. It's still a philosophical mode of sense. It's not a mood yet. It's not embodied yet. It's a way of thinking. It's an idealized form of consciousness, of cognitive awareness where in my mind I can come to a place and realize that all that matters is my thoughts prior to the disintegration into the emotional realm where it's much more difficult to elevate myself. And what happens in the lower seven spheros is that gvuros emerge, dinim emerge, klepos emerge, severity, judgment, husks of inessentiality which seems to confound and confuse what it means to be a human being in the world and all of the myriad iterations that emerge from within. Mourning, sadness, difficulty, loss. And the question that the Mikubalim ask is, what happens with these gavuros? What do we do with these gavuros when we confront them? And the tamide B'Hashem and the tamide Hagra have already expressed thousands of times that a person bas the gavuros b'sho That if a person wants to learn how to properly be mitmodeid, how to face gavura, how to deal with gavura in this world, they must learn the secret of sweetening the gavuros in their source. Now herein lies a deep and abiding truth that is unique to Kabbalah. It would be one thing to negate the existence of gavuros, to pretend that gavuros and severity don't exist. But that's not the reality of the world. Gavuros and severity do exist. Yusurin do exist, suffering does exist. So the question is not how to repress them or suppress them and ignore them and pretend they don't exist, but the question is how do I elevate them? What is the proper and healthy way based on Panimya Satora to confront Gvura, to confront that which appears to be against Kedusha, against unity, against light? And the answer given is that a person bas mimamtik Gevura speshorasham, that a person has to sweeten the gurus in their source. Now, what does that mean to sweeten them in their source? It means to recognize the true origin of gurus. It means to recognize that all limitation, all separation, all fragmentation, all disintegration into separate parts that appear to be devoid of a unifying whole, the opposite of chafmah. And on a personal, more significant psychological level, loss, pain, absence, homesickness, anxiety, fear, all of the attributes that are associated with Gavura, Panimiya Satara doesn't say to ignore them, but rather to uncover their true source, to recognize that all of these fallen aspects that confound me and make me afraid are truly just the dregs and the dross that has fallen away from Bina and its purity. Because like we said, Bina is the birthplace of all gvura. But by Bina, the gvuros are not negative, but rather they're a positive assertion of limitation. Therefore Hashem says that there needs to be limits in the world so that we can understand ideas better. Because without Bina, all there is is a universal cloud that has no significance to our embodied states. So if a person wants to elevate Gevuros, if a person wants to truly understand how to be mitmoded, how to face Gevuros with a healthy mindset of facing and not running away from it, the answer is to be Mamtika dinim b'sharasham, to elevate those dinim back to their source, which is Bina. That when Svarim HaKadoshim, when the Tamidim HaBashem over or the Tamidim of the Grav, the Tamidim of the Arizal, the Bahasulam, or the Rashash, or the Ramchal, or all the different iterations of Kabbalah speak of sweetening judgments in their source, it means recognizing that they come from Bina, that all separation and all suffering is simply a secondary or, or less than secondary further iterations of supernal limitation in its purified form. And the answer here is not to get rid of gavuros, That's very important. It's sweetening gavuros. Panimia Torah is not offering us some fantastical exit away from all Gevura. Gavura is a fact of life. Brokenness is a fact of life. What the Torah is trying to tell us is how can we learn to live with it? How can I learn to deal with it in a healthier way than being overwhelmed by it? The suffering will still be there. The pain will still be there. That's a given. Yusurin are a given according to Chazal. The only question is, what is the determining factor in Yusurin? Is it Ahava or is it Yira? Is it Ahava or is it sinna? Is it darkness or is it light? And when we talk about sweetening Gavuros and their source, we're not talking about negating their sting. Because their sting is what makes life palpable. Their sting is what makes life beautiful. Their sting is the opposition and that antithesis that gives birth to a further iteration of goodness. And will eventually, like we saw in the Shiram of the Leshem, be the vehicle that drives all of history that these gurus themselves offer the greatest possible option of what it means to be a human being in this world because that's where we find true experience. That's where we find the pathos of our lives, the stuff that feels powerful and that's burgeoning within us of, of manifestation and potentiation as we're going to see. The question is not how do I get rid or be mevat gurus, but the question is how do I sweeten them? How do I take that which tastes bitter How do I take that which is absent in my life and force it to admit to positivity? And that's where Bina comes in. Bina is the source in my mind where I'm able to look at all separation and say, it comes from a holy place. That when I'm mitmoded, when I face suffering in the world, I'm capable of hearing within the depths of my soul its true source. And I use the word hearing when it comes to Bina very specifically. Because like we said by Chachma, that Chachma is associated with Re'iyah, with vision, with the ocular-centric view of knowledge, which sees enlightenment in the mind's eye in its totality, devoid of any separation or distortion, Bina is going to be associated with the chush of shmiya, of hearing, of audiologic, which is why Hazal tells us that Trei kali lo mishtai, that two voices cannot be heard at once. That I cannot be yotzeh, two mitzvos at once if I hear from two different sources. By re'iyah, I see everything in its totality because there's no distinction, there's no distortion by the re'iyah of Chachma in that unified whole. It's only by bina where I'm forced to choose one over the other. Where achas diber aleikim shtaim zu shamati that by the chush of bina, of hearing, I'm already entering into the realm of duplicity and separateness. And the Leshem Shabai Vachaloyma has an incredibly beautiful language of what it means to engage with this chush Hashmiyah of Bina. It doesn't mean just the audio that we hear. But the Leshem says as follows. He says, That Bina is the true source of hearing within the ears. It's not the sensual experience of hearing that takes place in the world of the senses but rather it's the idealized form, the unconscious form of internalized hearing. And it's a voice that cannot be heard. It's audio, but yet at the same moment, it's silent. It's a sound of silence. al That on page 210 of an Aleph in the first halak of the Zohar, it says about Bina, that it's the supernal sound. The Nafkin miteman, and all voice and all audio sense comes from there. Kol the great voice of Matan Torah that doesn't stutter, that doesn't diminuate. Kala the internalized voice. She kol It's the internalized voice that abounds within the body itself. That can't be heard unless a person actually closes off the external ear. At that point, a person will have access to the incessant voice of potency of Bina that exists within the self. And it doesn't rest for even a moment. That this voice speaks from one end of the world to the next end of the world. But it can't be heard externally. It's only heard in the closing of the ears, like the deaf beggar in Rabbi Nachman's story of the seven beggars. Internally, a person hears the voice that they do not know. Because like we said, Bina is the beginning of utterances. It's the beginning of language. It's the beginning of interacting with things other than ourselves. Yet it's still that primordial space where I exist in my own self-sufficiency. It's an internalized voice, which tells me that there's going to be separation that emerges, yet at this point I'm still wholly saturated within my own internalized voice, which says that differentiation will eventually emerge. Now, another tzaddik, who spoke so remarkably about Bina was the Nazir HaKadosh, Rav David Cohen, the Talmud Mufak, of Rav Avram Yitzhak HaKohen Cook, which, in terms of becoming a student of Rav Cook, it was only through hearing, specifically hearing, the voice of Rav Cook davening the Akedah in Basel, Switzerland. The story goes that the Nazir had left Velashen and he began studying philosophy in Basel, Switzerland, and Rav Cook found himself stuck there, and Rav Cook spent the morning davening, and the Nazir writes in his personal journals that when he heard Rav Kook davening the Akedah before Shacharis, the Nazir already knew that he had found his Rebbe. And the Nazir goes on to become eventually the main editor of Rav Kook's works, along with his son Rav Tzvi Yehuda. Now, the Nazir's opus is something called Kol Hanavua, the voice of prophecy. And in it, he tries to show that Judaism in its totality is rooted in Bina. It's primarily rooted in audio logic, in the intuition that emerges from the distortion and the distinction of parts from within the individual, as opposed to Chachma, as opposed to vision, which sees everything in its totality, which the Nazir wants to associate with Greek philosophy. But at the end of Kol HaNavuah, Kol is a remarkable Sefer in its entirety, but at the end of the Sefer, the Nazir becomes most Kabbalistic. And the Nazir writes in the second volume in the third volume which is Kolpanimi kol the internalized voice of Bina the Nazir says as follows <clears throat> he says that humidas sabina questions are the quality of bina hasha'ilah o the questioning of things the ability to question once i descend away from that general quality of unity of Chachma, I now begin to find distortion and distinction, the birthplace of Gavuros, the birthplace of limitation. It's the question of where is this separation coming from that's la khul Hapnimi, that's connected to the internal voice. That's the Mida of Bina. The questions of if or from where. Ghazals tell us in Tukuni Zohar that me, the word that stands for who, is going to be representative of the idea of Bina. Bina is the first place where I begin asking questions. It's the first place of the emergence of kushyas, of difficulties, because by Chachmah there's no kushya. There's no question by Chachmah. Everything is unified. Everything is whole and perfect. I can see everything at once. By Bina already there's distortion and there's distinction, and one thing seems to be in opposition of the other, and that's the birthplace of questions. And Chazat tells us that me, of who, that's the first question I can ask. Not what. Chachma is the kayachma. Chachma is that power of what. Bina is already the question of me. What is this? And we're going to see that me is the numerical value of 50, which are going to be the nun shari bina, the 50 gates of bina. And the Nazir continues and he says Habina tries to deal with, according to svara, according to human logic, understanding who created things. Where does this come from? Is this appropriate? Is this possible? Is this necessary? Is it even a possibility? Is it needed? Is it fundamental? It gives birth to the truth of the world that emerges later on. He aim la tikra, because we call bina the mother. Aim hainu bina, haim haim. Something, the question of if something is true is the same word as the mother. Bina, understanding which emerges from the depths, from the interior of the depths, within the mind. It's intuitively understanding how one thing comes from something else. It's the source of questioning. Even though we're not at the point where we're going to have an answer, Habina asra Shaila. it's the space that's associated with Shaila with questions, but ilah, but the lofty question. It's a place where questions emerge, but questions don't bother us yet. It's the fact that there's going to be opposition within the world. There's going to be difference in the world. Bina is also referred to by the Svarim Hakadoshim as Elohim Chaim, as the Living God. And we have a klal of Eluv Elu Divra Elohim chayim, that these and those are the words of the living God. That at the space of Bina, even though there needs to be a distinction and a separation between right and wrong, left and right, good and bad, Beishamay and Bezhila, like the Vilnagon points out, Chova and Mutter. Even though in the world of action, as we're going to see in the 70 E there's a distinction between these two oppositional traits. And the space of Bina, it's Eluva Elu Divra Eloikim Hayim, that these and those are the word of the living Lord. That both of the ideas, in spite of their paradoxical and contradictory notion, are both true because Bina still comes from a place of supernal clarity prior to the disintegration into separateness. And duplicity and multiplicity are the space of Gevuros, and our job is to elevate them back to that place of Eloikim Chayim to show that Eloikim, the source of Gurus, is alive. It comes from a living God. It comes from a God who's interested in only Kedusha. Now, because Bina becomes this birthplace of separateness, it also becomes this unique epistemological mode of not being satisfied with the first glance of things. We said in our Shirim on addiction, that when it comes to the neshama of Yitzchak, the paradigm of Gevura, often associated in the Zohar HaKadosh and Sifrei Ishbitz and Radzin with Bina itself, is Yitzchak Avinu. And Yitzchak is with this schoik, this laughter, this redemptive laughter, which comes about after darkness. Because Bina, in spite of being the birthplace of separation, is going to show itself to be the world of tshuva, to be the world of return to give access to those who fall away from Kedusha, the ability to elevate back to a place even higher than Chachma. That Bina has the ability to elevate a person to tshuva, to yovel, to chayrus to freedom, to taking all of the pekalach all of the baggage, and showing how that's also part and parcel of Kedusha. So Bina already gives room for mistakes. Bina is already the ability to fall away from Kedusha, because it's the birthplace of Gevuros. And the Sayyidis Sharm in his Sefer T'chilas writes as follows, and this is something that we've brought up in previous jiram, a remarkable source to this in Chazal itself. The Sa'di Sharm says as follows, The ima Roma Bina The mother is representative of Bina in its source, in its purified source. The the Sabina and the concept of Bina is to understand something from within something else, no longer satisfied with the general postulates which hold everything in their perfection, but rather the need to discern difference within unity so that unity can emerge with a deeper sense of particularization. That this is the statement of Chazal and that a person cannot understand the Torah unless they've made a mistake. That Bina is already the space of mistakes. Bina is already the possibility of mistakes. It's the origin of separation that is necessary for the creation of the world. And this is remarkable, and Rav Moshe Shapiro would quote this all the time as well. Like it says in Dafyud Bezam and Aleph and binoisi Megillah, from the fact that Chazal say, I understand, the implication is that they've already made a mistake. That Bina emerges out of the mistakes. Bina is what gives birth to the possibility of taking choyshech and being mehapich to or. Bina in the Zohar is referred to as who, as that which stands above and beyond my ability to specifically point to something. Yenim, the other person. And the Ketam Oifir, the Kamar no Rebbe and Elenu in Mesachas Megillah, and this is based on uh, in the Megillah's Esther, and this is based on the Arizal as well in Prietz Chaim, says that v'nehapaychu, that the hippuch of Purim, the ability to transvalue things, to take darkness and turn it into light, to take pain and turn it into joy, to take sadness and to turn it into simcha, to take the gvuros and mantik them and sweeten them, to become the shalhuvin dirachimnu, the flames of intensity that the leshem speaks about so often, that hippoch, that ability of yeshinyan sheyitopecha kol, of tshuva, of cheiros, of freedom, of yovel, that's all rooted in bina, in who. That's the capacity of Bina, to take the darkness that emerges from it and to show that this darkness is also there. That I need to take a double take. Like Avi Melech says by seeing Yitzchak being blessed. Yitzchak is the paradigm of Gevura. L'chorah, he shouldn't have any monetary wealth. And when Avi Melech and his Sartseval look at him, the Pasuk says, ra'inu, We have seen, and it's a double language of seeing. And Rav Simcha Bunim of Peshischa and the Sochi Sharm brings us down, and the Beis Yosef and Magen Sharm also brings it down, and that's the source of it. That when Avimelech saw Avram Avinu, the paradigm of Chachma and Chesed, it was simple and understandable why he saw blessing, why he saw growth, why he saw wealth and overflowing. And there's no double language of Raya there. But when it comes to Yitzchak, who's the paradigm of severity and Bina, that which is apparently the opposite of growth and outgrowth. So he had to take a double take, he had to look twice. He had to look beyond first appearances and hear the inner voice of Yitzchak and understand that here too exists Kedusha. And this is why when it comes to Bina, the Mitla Rebbe who is associated with Bina on every level, the Lubavitcher Rebbe said that the Mitla Rebbe, the Admor HaMasai was Kineged Bina, was the Rechoi Sanar, was the expansivity of the rivers. When trying to define the nature of Bina as an epistemological mode of experience, he writes as follows, and this is in Sha'ar HaYichud, Bina means to be mitbonain, to understand something, means to penetrate deeply into the matter. La alavharbe, to stand on it and to wait with the idea. Ad Yavanos al-aburov, to the point that you understand it in all of its part. B'chol chelkav pratiyut in all of its disintegrated parts. bina, And this is the aspect of the inner interiority of Bina. Which is referred to in the Gemara as Iyun, which according to mesechah Sukkah is a certain painful experience because somebody is not allowed to learn B'iyun in the Sukkah because the Mitzvahir is puter from the Sukkah. And this is because Bina is the source of Gvuros. And the Mitla goes on to say as follows, he says, <coughs> to understand the depth of the point of chachma is only through bina shuhu noveah that it gives it's born out of chachma it's the nahar hayotse me it's the river that emerges out of eden we said last week that eden is going to be chachma the nahar the river that emerges out of there into a deeper form of understanding that's going to be bina shabina nikra nahar v'chachma nikra maayan. And the Rabbah says, Bina is referred to as penetrating the matter. al that he stands trying to really intellectually understand something Bahar ma'od, and he spends time understanding something, no longer satisfied with the first postulation of shuha hipo which is waiting. The ability to say, it's okay for me to sit on this idea and deal with the distortion in it instead of rushing to something else. In order to come to the depth of the matter. The way it exists in its interiority. And the Midler says, this is why hisboininus, the way we express bina, has a nun kaful, a double nun. Because when it comes to bina, a person has to be willing to look beyond appearances. Beyond the apparent disparity that emerges out of Bina, beyond the apparent mistakes that come out of Bina, a person is now capable of understanding that it's specifically here in the place of separation that I have the ability to be mantic that separation. Specifically here in the place of the birthplace of the Gvuros, so I have the ability to elevate those Gvuros and to be Mahapech to a deeper level of unity? And Bezus Hashem, next week we're going to enter in to the sugya of Chesed. To so the sheva Yemei Now we're going to beginning discussing the embodied modes of emotional experiences as they're rooted in the seven spheros of Chesed through Malchus.